Hey, this is a new series, um, Gospel Rich and Healthy Community. We got that slide there because that's Anita's artwork, which is really cool. <clears throat> Gospel Rich and Healthy Community. Uh, today is the introduction, and what I'd love you to get out of today and out of this whole series is that we as a community would take another step towards becoming rich with the gospel, that we'd learn how to speak the gospel to one another in love and therefore become a healthy community uh, because the gospel creates health, emotional health, relational health, spiritual health. So first two weeks are introduction and then we're going to do the four G's. If you don't know what those are, you'll find out. And then we're doing a five to five on Tim Chester's book, Enjoying God. If you'd like to be part of the five for five, please tell me. It's when five people speak for five minutes each on a Sunday morning. So if you'd love to have a go at that, please talk to me. That's at the end of this series. Well, today I want to look at three things. Firstly, I want to look at what the gospel is and how that impacts our lives, firstly. Secondly, I want to look at the heart. And thirdly, I want to look at speaking the gospel to our hearts. Well, you ready? <clears throat> kind of. That's good. Um, the gospel, firstly. One of the key issues with understanding the gospel is how does the death of a particular human being, Jesus, 2,000 years ago and his resurrection, how does that apply to us? <laughs> um, how do we make sense of that? You know, that something thousands of years ago thousands of kilometres away can affect our lives today and particularly can affect our relationship with God. There are lots of things to say about how that works. But once we trust that it does work, uh, then what is important is the power of a real relationship with the living and true God at work in our lives which in a sense transcends, you know, the, how it works, you know, the, the specific mechanics of how Jesus' death and resurrection brings us into relationship with God. In a sense, we can work out the details down the track, you know, and, and in a sense, no one really understands all of those details. But what is primarily important is that through Jesus, we come into a relationship with the living God, and that changes everything. Um, so what is the gospel and how does it apply to us? Well, the gospel is the great reality that God won the victory over all the junk of the world, sin and failure and weakness and death and destruction, ultimately. Uh, God has won that victory through Jesus, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. That's the gospel. And behind that is the truth that God is the creator who still loves this world, hasn't given up on this world, who loves us, and that love is an active love which resulted in him sending his son Jesus to live our life, die our death, and be raised in triumph and victory. And that as we attach ourselves to him, 
And the way we do that is through trust. And the way we attach ourselves to anybody is through trust. As we attach ourselves to Jesus, then our life becomes connected with his life. And our death is actually swallowed up by his death. And we're alive in a new way. And that life that we now experience will in the end get us through death. God will pull us through death. So how does this apply to our lives? We're all desperate to be filled, to be fulfilled as human beings with beauty and meaning and truth and goodness. And to be a Christian is to be somebody who God fills, who God fulfills, who God gives meaning and hope and joy and life to through what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection. So that when that takes place, when we are filled with God and his fulfilment, that changes our lives entirely, or at least it can. So how do we live as Christians? What it means at just this basic level of how we relate to the world, how we relate to our spouse, how we relate to our family, our workplace, our friends. We relate now, this is the main idea, we relate from a position of fullness, not a position of emptiness or neediness, at least potentially. And so we enter into all of life's situations, all of life's relationships and contexts and at work. We enter into that as a person who is filled. The way the Apostle Paul describes it is filled with all the fullness of God, Ephesians 3:17. I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's what Paul prays for every Christian that will be filled with the fullness of God. And that means that we enter into relationships and contexts and situations, not as demanders or graspers, but as givers and lovers. That's the main point. To understand this fully, we need to understand the heart. The Bible uses the word heart over a thousand times in the Old and New Testament. Jesus said in the reading we just had read to us by Ali, that it's out of the heart that come the things that defile us, evil thoughts and things, Mark 7, 21 to 23. See, what is a human being? Uh, what makes us tick? How do we function? What drives us? Not just on a psychological level, but on a more profound spiritual level. What makes us tick? It's our hearts. 
It's our hearts. The heart is the way God has made us as fundamentally loving, desiring, worshipping and attaching beings. That is the picture that the Bible gives us right from the beginning. We're created to worship, to attach ourselves to a source of meaning, to desire something beyond ourselves. And we learn as we read in the Bible that that is God himself. That that our hearts were meant to find their joy in another, in something beyond themselves. And that is God himself. Our hearts need to find their source of life and fulfilment and joy and meaning in God. That's how we were created. That's what our hearts are all about. Our hearts need to attach themselves to God to find meaning and purpose and fulfilment. And what happens is, and what the Bible calls sin is, when we try to find the source of our life or our meaning or our joy or our security or our significance in something other than God. Whether it's how intelligent we are, how well we work in the workplace, whether we're a great boss, uh, whether we're a good friend to other people, There are many things that we can look to to find our significance, our joy, our sense of meaning and fulfilment that are outside God. Well, the Bible calls, says that ultimately, if that's the ultimate thing you're looking for joy and and happiness and meaning in, that's sin. Or another word is idolatry. Uh, Idolatry is about attaching our hearts to something which is not God. This is important because our whole tradition in Western society has depicted human beings as minds and wills. I've heard a caricature of this uh, where a a philosopher says, sticks with brains, is is how in Western society we've tended to characterise human beings. Sticks with brains. Do you like that? In other words, there's no emphasis on the heart. And the Bible says, no, no, no. We're not just wills and minds. Beneath that, the deeper level is this reality of the heart. And sometimes we can construct Christianity in line with our kind of Western culture and start saying that Christianity is all about just believing the gospel intellectually, understanding it, accepting it, and then by our will, trying to obey it, trying to put it into practice. And the Bible says that that ultimately is just spiritually powerless. We can't do it through our minds and our wills alone. Our hearts, which are the deeper reality of who we are, That's where the change and transformation needs to happen. In fact, it can get very ugly if we're trying by our mind and will 
to be Christians. It can lead to self-righteousness. Our hearts can become attached to our own efforts to become right with God, to live the Christian life in our own strength. Our hearts can be attached to our performance, that we're better than others, and that is a very dangerous thing. Instead, what the gospel does is it says, no, God's grace, God's love for the unlovely, you and I, can fill our hearts. Come to him. Find your satisfaction in him. Find your purpose, your joy, your meaning, your fulfilment in him. And as he fills you, this will then mean that you're no longer a grasping person. You become free to love and to serve. And so your life is transformed. So the deep issue again and again in the scriptures is our hearts. What do our hearts love? What are our hearts attached to? Because if that's not God, that is completely powerless. And there will not be real transformation. British scholar Ashley Knoll puts it like this. What the heart desires, the will chooses and the mind justifies. I think that's just a brilliant, brilliant insight into human beings. What the heart desires, the will chooses and the mind justifies. It all flows from the heart. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. It all comes from the heart. What the heart desires, the will chooses, the mind justifies. Now the heart, we need to say, is not the same as emotions. Yes, um, Our hearts affect our emotions, but they're not the same thing. It's possible to have emotional change without having real heart change. Uh, If you're watching Lego Masters on television with Hamish and and on comes an ad uh, about World Vision and there's this child who is starving and suddenly our emotions are activated and we may be very moved by that, but suddenly we're back to... Lego Masters and Hamish and the emotion that we quickly felt is quickly gone and there's no actual real heart change. Do you see what I mean? So a lot of people make this mistake. They think the heart is the emotions. The heart is a deeper level than the emotions. Another way to understand the heart is to ask... What does the heart do? What the heart is is kind of hard to define and it's no accident that the Bible uses the word heart because our physical hearts are like the centre of our livingness. Without our hearts we die, right? So, so it's 
The Bible is using the metaphor or the image of the heart to say that our hearts are what gives us life. They're the centre, the deep wellspring of our life. But once we get beyond that, it's hard to nail down exactly what the heart is. It's better to ask, what does the heart do? And what the heart does is love, right? The heart worships. The heart boasts in. The heart rests in. And the heart desires, right? So for me, that kind of helps me understand what the heart is. The heart loves, worships, rests in, boasts in, and desires. And we can tell what our heart is boasting in. For example, when somebody heavily criticises us and says we're a terrible person, and what will happen right at that moment is that in the back of our minds, we'll have an answer. No, I'm not a terrible person because of fill in the blank. And whatever we put in that blank is what our heart is resting in. It's what our heart is boasting in. It's what our heart is attached to for our meaning and purpose and fulfilment. So right there, I can tell where my heart is, even in something like that. Now, that's what the Bible is saying. Turn that heart's desire from that other thing, whatever it is, to God. Attach yourself to Jesus Christ and the gospel. And if we attach ourselves to that, if our heart's desire is God's grace to us through Jesus, that means we're in a very secure and healthy place in our lives. Uh, If it's anything else, we're in trouble. You know, if, if I'm resting in, if I'm desiring to be a good person, well, what happens when I'm not a good person? Or if it's I'm going to be a really good friend to somebody else and that's what makes me who I am. Well, no, what happens when you're not a good friend? Uh, it doesn't work. The only place we can find fulfilment and security ultimately is God through Jesus Christ. So, for health, we need the gospel to touch our hearts. Um, We can't just be intrigued by the gospel. We can't just be, like, taken by how what a wonderful pattern of life it, it is. That gospel has to come down into that heart level and change us. And the change is to now begin to find our joy, significance, peace, fulfilment, stability, poise, life, joy, hope in God. So the degree to which our hearts are set on God is the degree to which we will be transformed. We will no longer be the grasping, desperate people who are sucking life out of our relationships, who need all sorts of things to be just right, who need our spouse or our friend or our 
child to respect us in a certain way. Um, We won't need that. We'll be free simply to love and to serve. So this makes all the difference in our lives. So, for example, you know, my relationship with my wife. You know, if we're married, our spouse is the most important person emotionally to us, and then our immediate family, then our extended family and friends and so on. So with my wife, I like it when she likes me and she respects me and uh, she's for me. That's really cool. But I don't need it in order to be positive about her and give in that relationship. I don't need it because I have that from the living God who loves me and who is for me. That is my rock-solid foundation. And if I'm looking to her as the one that I'm attaching my heart to for that, when she criticises me and says, you're spending way too much money in the cafe and you've gone back on our agreement and, my goodness, when is this going to stop? If I'm looking to her for my sense of self, I will hear that as this kind of thunderous criticism and rejection. But if I'm resting securely in God, then I don't need to get defensive. I can speak about it humbly and with openness. I can apologise and we can move on. Rather than the whole thing turning into an a funky argument. Or another way to say this is, Augustine said, a mature Christian, as a mature Christian, I love little things a little amount, I love medium things a medium amount, I love big things a big amount. And I love Jesus most of all because he infinitely loved me on the cross. So it matters to me that my wife loves me, but she's not the one I love the most. That's not where my heart ultimately rests. So therefore my world doesn't come crashing down when I'm facing all of these different things in life. I can be steady, I can experience contentment, I can experience joy, I can handle myself with poise, and not fall apart. You see, this gives us emotional health. Most of us want to be happy in our relationships and in our lives, and that's not dumb or selfish. Uh, But there's a couple of things to say about that. The word happiness is an extension of the word hap, from which we get happenstance, or that is circumstances. And the danger of making happiness our goal is that it means our equilibrium in life our ability to make our way through life, our, our happiness, depends on our circumstances. But the fact is, life isn't like that, you know. Life lets us down. Life sometimes isn't that good. In the end, we get sick and die. So what do we do? Well, 
if we substitute the word joy in place of happiness. It's a way of saying, okay, where do we get our peace? Where do we get our satisfaction? Where do we get our buoyancy uh, through all the circumstances of life? It's God. It's God. Only he can provide that. Because only he can overcome the ultimate circumstances of our life, including death. So what gives us joy? What makes us okay with ourselves? What means that we can look in the mirror every morning and be okay with who we are and live life with, you know, with determination and, and, and a sense of life bubbling up within me? It has to be God and his love for us through Jesus Christ. That he is our father. That he holds us through everything. That he has given his son to die for us. And so I don't need to freak out. I don't need to collapse in a heap. I don't need to return criticism with anger and hostility and aggressiveness. I can live simply as a person who can love and who can serve. I'm free. So Jesus needs to be the heart reality that we are attached to. Hear what I'm saying? It will transform our lives. Philippians 4.12, Paul in prison, facing death, says... I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do this through him who gives me strength. And this is a journey for all of us. We, none of us are completely joyful, completely poised, completely stable, <laughs> completely just freely giving and loving. None of us are. But we're learning. We're learning, we're growing. And as we keep speaking this truth to one another, we set our hearts more and more and more on God's love for us in Christ so that our lives are transformed. And thirdly, speaking the gospel to one another's hearts. So this means that whatever the issue that we're facing or dealing with or being called in obedience towards whatever the issue is, um, we need to speak to the heart. We need to apply the gospel of Jesus' death for us to the heart. Um, just for, for example, generosity. And, you know, the Pharisees talked about the will and the mind. And Jesus says, no, but you've got to, you've got to talk about the heart. And the issue of, say, generosity, you know, you could say to people... Well, we should be generous and we could even define what generosity is, call people to it, maybe give them some practical advice on how to organise budgets and, and do it. Um, and that's merely speaking to the will or speaking to the mind. And that has no spiritual power, right? And this is why so many Christians are unmotivated in churches. They're not hearing the gospel applied to the heart. 
See, why do we find generosity hard? Is it because we don't understand what generosity is? Or is it because we don't know how to be generous? No, we know what it is. Is it because we don't have the willpower to do it? Well, maybe, but the will comes out of the heart. The power of the will is the heart. The will has no power in itself. The power is the heart. So what's happening in our hearts where we would not be generous? Well, we, we feel poor or we desire to be wealthy or we feel more secure when we have more wealth or we want to be comfortable, right? These are the desires of the heart. If those desires are not touched by the gospel, there won't be transformation, So we need to speak the gospel to those desires. So the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, 8 verse 9, he doesn't say, look, you just need to understand that other people need it more than you do and that you have more than others and that you made a promise that you would give and all that's true, but that's not where Paul ultimately goes with this issue of generosity. What does Paul say? He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. And Paul is saying, as we grasp in our hearts that Jesus' poverty on the cross where he emptied himself of everything, that Jesus' sacrifice made us wealthy, gave us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, and that can never be taken away from us. But it was by his poverty that we were made rich. And when our hearts latch onto that, generosity will be released. The crucial thing in every issue as we talk to one another is always pointing to Jesus, to the sacrificial, substitutionary, atoning death of Jesus. Jesus stood in our place and took our death for us. And knowing that Jesus will fulfill every desire that we have. He has every security for us. He'll give us every joy. He'll provide everything we need. That will liberate us to be generous. To live the Christian life. So our task as we talk to one another is to always be saying this to each other. What Jesus has done, who he is, who we are now because of him and what we have because of him. And the heart is like an iceberg. There's so much beneath the surface, isn't there? But if we can draw what's beneath the surface in our hearts out and then speak the gospel into that space we will find joy. We will become healthy 
as human beings and liberated. And that's what this series is about. And repentance in the end is repenting of and by and from the heart, not just the will and mind. Meaning we need to shift our primary love from whatever we have attached that to over to attaching to Jesus. So security, you know, perhaps your superannuation has tanked in the last few weeks by 40% or whatever. And you feel sad about that. And that tells you something about how much you loved it and how much you were banking on that and how secure you felt because of your superannuation. But repentance means taking that, not just recognising it, but taking that and putting it on Jesus, attaching that to Jesus to say, nothing has changed about my eternal destiny. My father still has the inheritance of the whole creation for me. That is lock solid, you know, rock solid. Um, and actually, you know, I'm not that sad about my superannuation <laughs> tanking. Oh, I'll figure that out as I go, you know. And it's not that we can't feel sad or, you know, a bit bad about anything, you know, whether that's reduced super or health or sickness or death of a loved one or anything. Of course we're meant to have multiple loves. Actually, we're meant to love our enemy. We're meant to love our neighbours, our spouse, our kids. We're meant to love all of these. And it's quite legitimate to take joy in all of those good things. Um, but it's when our loves are disordered. It's when we love small things a large amount and large things a small amount and we don't love Jesus most of all. That's when our lives become unhealthy and get all messed up. So we need to help each other clarify exactly who Jesus is and exactly what is this infinite love that he has for us that evokes our love for him in such a way that all of our other loves are reorganised and we come to health. Well, more on this next week.